0: Hi, and welcome to the Sheep Show podcast dedicated to all things ovine. Thank you for joining me. I'm Jill Noble from Holston Valley Farm and Sheep Stud and your host. This is your podcast to learn more, know more, and achieve more when it comes to shepherding. Come with me as we explore the amazing world of sheep and sheep farming together. So what is the best type of sheep for you? What is the best type of sheep for your environment? Welcome to this episode, and we're going to talk about different breeds of sheep. We're going to talk about different uh, elements and aspects of sheep. We're going to explore and help you understand the differences between these sheep, and then help you make some decisions and choices about which one to go with. And with me on this podcast is Gary, my husband. Hello. And Gary's here for some special comments. So, Gary, tell us about the big picture of sheep.
1: The scientific name of sheep is Ovis aries. Now, that's domesticated sheep, the type of sheep that you see driving around the farms. They're all the one species, no matter what breed they're from. There are a few other species in the genus. You might have heard of the mouflon. There's uh, American wild sheep. There's European wild sheep. And it is believed by many that... The domestic sheep we have today were descended from those European and Asiatic wild sheep. They've been domesticated uh, through many, many cultures across the world, on all continents, I think, except Antarctica. And the reason is probably because they're so darn useful. Uh, Meat and wool, but milk and lovely cheeses. And they also have been used for fertility. Uh, There's lots of examples through Europe of where they were used to fertilise their croplands in the times before bagged fertiliser and tractors. So they've been part of our history for a long, long time and they look like they're going to continue to be with us for a, a lot longer.
0: And what we know is that there are about a thousand breeds of sheep around the world and I'm interested in us having a chat around the... The different types of breeds that, that are in existence today, we, we have, you know, for example, people talk about wool sheep or composite sheep or crossbred sheep. Um, and uh, and potentially we hear about African sheep and these sorts of things. So we know that these sheep are different. So, for example, people listening in, they might be thinking, well, what what sort of sheep might be suitable for my environment? Which we'll obviously talk about the different situations in your environment to identify. But let's just have a chat about these types of uh, of sheep. So African sheep, what, uh, what, what, what can you tell us about African sheep?
1: Well, I think the important thing to remember is that a breed, the term breed is not strictly a scientific term. It refers to traits that are passed on genetically from parent to offspring. That's the key thing to uh, remember, because we can We can look at all different sorts of aspects of of sheep or other animals, but the important thing is what are the key traits that you are going to need on your property, your environment, your weather, and your operation with your levels of skill and, and enthusiasm. So it's really about the traits. So when it comes to African sheep, uh, that's pretty simple because you think that it's dry, it's it's arid. These are the types of sheep, and some examples will be the Damaras, Dorpers. Dorpa is from Persian, so it, you remember the Dorset and Persian.
0: Dorset and Persian, that's it.
1: Yep. And so therefore, uh, their traits uh, that they can do very very well in the dry arid areas. They're good foragers, but importantly, uh, they are polyestrous.
0: Okay, so now we're talking about uh, how they breed. So you're saying here African sheep breed differently in terms of their um, cycle, their reproductive cycle?
1: That's right. So uh, we're generalizing here, but for most intents and purposes, you can think that African breeds can uh, fall pregnant basically at any time of the year. So there are a lot of other factors, but basically you can uh, set the time when you join your ewes with your ram, and that means that you can um, all things, all other things being okay, the the, the nutrition and the weather, etc. You can have a lot more choice about when you have lambs, and that's a critical uh, issue. Now, the British breeds are a bit different.
0: We'll 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 get to them. So, just with these this polyesterous pace. Poly means many, and estrus refers to the reproductive cycle. So if we know that sheep are five months on average, pregnant for five five months, does this mean that a polyestrus sheep could technically have two breeding cycles in the one year?
1: That's right. What you'll hear from a lot of African sheep breeders is that you can have three lambings, In two years. Uh,
0: uh, One of the breeds that a lot of people either think about when they think about sheep is Merinos. So, and these are quite an interesting breed. So where do Merinos come from?
1: Well, Merino is a Spanish word and the Merinos came from Spain. Mm. And that's one of the reasons they may have done very well here in Australia.
0: Because Merinos are an interesting breed because they're not African. They're Spanish, as you mentioned. But they actually are... A, a breed that breeds all year round as well yeah so so there are, uh, and and it, it, it's I mean if, if you're interested in in a wool sheep and you're and that's something that that's of um, a, a passion of yours and we will have some wool experts on on upcoming editions and episodes of the podcast um, We'll we'll look at some things at the end of this podcast on why what you'd need to have wool and and, and grow wool um, but that's something to obviously think about and, and looking into a merino or a merino cross and the merino the merino has been used to cross with a lot of sheep and as a result that um, trait that uh, ability to cycle all year round has been brought into additional crossbred Merino sheep. So it's interesting to sort of look at that. But again, as you mentioned, there's pros and cons with that as well. So we've looked there at African sheep and Merino sheep. I'd now like us to look at other types of breeds. And in particular, another uh, breed I'd like us to look at is the British breeds of sheep. And then we'll also look at composite breeds too. Um, so let's look at some British breeds. When I say to you, Gary, British breeds of sheep, what, what comes to mind? What are some breeds that, that come to mind?
1: Uh, all the lovely British names like uh, Suffolk and um, Lincoln and Shropshire and all these different names where the sheep were bred in particular regions, mm. particularly before mass transportation. And each region just developed almost in isolation due to the different influences or factors in that region.
0: And when we, – so we talk about the Africans being polyesterous. These British breeds, are they polyesterous?
1: Well, no, they're called cyclical breeders.
0: What does that mean?
1: Well, they breed at a particular time of the year. So you've got a window where they'll come into season and they'll be receptive to the ram – uh, and that is probably because in the Northern Hemisphere where you have definite seasons and so you would be, as a sheep, you'd be best to have your lambs at a particular time of the year and because it is quite seasonal in that, temp- uh, in that Northern Hemisphere um, compared to, say, a tropical zone where the seasons are pretty much the same – you do have that definite change in day length, you have the definite four seasons, so there is an imperative to do things around those seasons
0: and just on that that 's what that 's what signals that cycle in in these sheep that we 're talking about, these British breed sheep. The shortening of the day length and the light hitting the eye, the amount of light hitting the eye changes and then the sheep starts to cycle. So it's really quite amazing.
1: Yep, and uh, it can vary slightly. I've heard some people say that down here where we are in southern Australia and closer to the coast, they might be a little bit later. Uh, There is a bit of variation, so it can be anywhere from February through to maybe April, um, and you get some outliers who can be be quite late. But generally, your, your British breeds will be having their lambs from July, August, September, uh, and it's quite late if it's in October. So very important thing to consider for your operation uh, and um, what you might want to get out of it and where you're placed with your weather conditions.
0: Yeah. So these British breeds cyclical breeders, and what we know about them is they tend to breed longer. So those more um, polyestrous sheep, tend, and even merinos, tend not to breed or produce lambs for as, for as long as some of these British breeds sheep. I mean, the breed we have will still produce lambs at 10 and 12 years old, which you would never have in a merino. So there's different sort of benefits of that, um, the, that breeding cycle as well. And then let's have a look at composite breeds. So when you think about composite breeds, what comes to mind
1: what, what you've got are two different breeds and then or two or more and you, you get a s- genetically stable sheep that has derived from mm. two of those different breeds and remembering of course breed is not really a scientific term it's just heritable traits that will be consistently passed mm. on so you've got a number of different examples
0: yeah, so um, some of you might have heard of the Australian white sheep. And the Australian white was um, obviously bred uh, and created, if you like, because these composite breeds effectively are created. And Aussie Pites was created from a mix of white Dorper, Van Rooney, Paul Dorset and Texel genetics all coming together to create the Australian white. And again, you can think about the benefits of a breed like that. Um, and we'll talk a little bit about some of the the, um, the other side of it as well. The Wiltie Poll will be another one. Wiltie Poll is um, primarily Wilshire horn gene but also Border Leicester, Perindale, Paul Dorset, and Pole Merino. So you've got some of that Merino back in the air in that uh, Wiltie Pole. Pole Worth is another one, and that's a cross between Lincolns and Merinos. And then there's several others that are composite breed, the Dones coming from um, Merino crosses as well. So composite breeds, as Gary mentioned, they are a mix of breed, generally breed true to type. Now the other thing I want us to talk about, Gary, is the difference between meat sheep and wool sheep.
1: Well, obviously, the the wool sheep uh, bred for their wool producing characteristics, uh, whereas some of the meat sheep uh, they've been specifically bred for their meat characteristics, where they carry the carcass, how efficiently they produce it, flavourness, tenderness, that sort of thing.
0: So the way I like to think of it is a difference between a, a a milking cow and a eating cow or a beef cow
1: because they haven't been selected for wool and their main uh, production is for meat, what you'll find is that they've, the focus for breeders down through the ages has been on other um, production characteristics such as fertility, mothering ability, um, milking ability, so they can produce lambs. So you often get some other very beneficial traits because the focus hasn't been on wool.
0: And uh, a lot of this, the meat, the lamb in the supermarket, what would that be, do you think?
1: Well, up until very recently, it was almost all... Wool sheep, and what you would have is a merino type or, or some other wool sheep, and then they'd put some other big sheep, like a Suffolk or a Border Leicester uh, sheep, to to get some hybrid vigor, which means the offspring grow a bit uh, faster, bigger, mature earlier, any of those sort of production traits. And then you'd get your wool off your ewe, but you'd also get the bonus of having a lamb or two. Uh, Whereas what we're seeing more now, particularly with the Dorpers now, I think they're the second most popular breed in Australia after Merinos. Probably still a long way behind Merinos, but they're they're the second most common breed, uh, being a meat breed. uh, And uh, that's, um, yeah, their production characteristics uh, reflect that.
0: And then the other thing that um, when we started ourselves, we, we were hearing things like, uh, oh, that's a commercial sheep, or and that's a stud sheep. Um, the, and these are some of the things that perhaps um, challenge us a, a little bit. Um, and, the, w- of course, you, you, you ask questions, you find out. And um, really the, the main difference is the stud sheep has a record of its pedigree, which means you can trace the father and the mother of a stud sheep back until the entry to what we call the flock book, whenever the records started. And that's really what makes a stud sheep. You can have that pedigree. Uh, it's a bit like a dog. Same sort of idea. Whereas commercial sheep might just have excellent traits and be look as quite as good as a, a stud sheep. And the difference is the pedigree is not there. Um, it, we did mention the, the British breeds, but of course let's not forget the Scottish breeds of sheep. So... Um, here we have breeds like the Cheviot. What do you know about Cheviots, Gary? Yeah, so... Think, think of the landscape in yeah. Scotland. What, what do you think Cheviots would be good? Uh, uh, what, 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 what characteristics would they have and traits would they have?
1: Yeah, well, the ability to do well in the cold and, and wet as well. And um, the, out here, the things that you might like is that their feet will hold up well, generally. That's what they look for. And you often find in some of those sheep, like Welsh mountain sheep that they're good mothers and uh, you'll have less lambing problems. But what you tend to find is there's, there's this trade-off between those sort of traits and carcass traits. So mothering and fertility tends to often, uh, it doesn't necessarily have to be this way, but it often um, works out that way, that um, they won't grow as big necessarily, they won't grow as fast. And so you'll often see farmers trying to strike that balance.
0: How do they do that?
1: Uh, well, you might do some uh, hybridising. So you have a, um, uh, a flock of um, ewes, say, for example, I saw an Ireland one time, a flock of uh, Welsh mountain sheep that are very hardy on rough country. They do well on poor feed. Uh, they, they get pregnant. They have lambs, but they're not very big. The wool is not worth anything. Uh, and so what you do is have a big, ram a big commercial ram like a Suffolk or something like that and try and get a bigger lamb more meatier lamb mm. uh, but the thing is if you just had some uh, a flock of Suffolks, uh in that country they mightn't do so well they'll struggle with the wet and cold so it's it's the the balance that you want to look at
0: and that's interesting because in some countries like in ireland it is all about crossbreeding sheep and all because of that hybrid vigor that you're talking about So now we've just explored all the different types of sheep. Uh, The pros and cons, I suppose, of each type of breed of sheep. And uh, this concept of sort of pedigree and and, and commercial sheep and, and so on. So given that you've just been exposed to all of this sheep information, I guess the question becomes, what are you going to do with it? And what decisions are you going to make to find your match And particularly we're thinking here of you making decisions around what sheep to go with and why. So let's explore that. When you're making a decision about what sheep to go with, what would you consider?
1: What infrastructure do you have?
0: What do you mean by infrastructure?
1: So what facilities do you have? Yards? uh, Do you have shearing? Do you have a sheep dip? All the um, equipment... That you'll need to perform the management tasks uh, that are going to be required of your sheep.
0: And when you think about what we started with, Gary, what sort of infrastructure did we have for the first two years?
1: Well, we had a reasonable set of cattle yards uh, and some smaller pens, and that was it.
0: It's <laughs> a so very low infrastructure. We uh, our farm that we bought was a rundown dairy farm. They had been running sheep here. Um, so there was some shearing, like a shearing shed and, and things like that. But apart from that, there was no handling facilities.
1: There was an old wooden baler. It's quite <laughs> a museum piece. If anyone wants a wooden baler, yeah, please, come isn't. and get it. <laughs> um, we'll let you have that for free. But it's quite. It looks quite good. It's quite interesting. Can you shear sheep yourself? Um, which is is quite physically demanding. Uh, and if you're not going to, can you get hold of shearers that will come to a small Uh, area uh, a small farm area are there many shearers and how much are they going to charge you because they'll generally charge a lot more per sheep um, if you don't have a thousand sheep or or the huge numbers of sheep um, because it's just not worth Mm -hmm. their while and when you're bringing people onto your property vets for example and workers shearers you want to have reasonable facilities for them to be safe. Uh, yeah.
0: From, from a, an occupational health and safety point of view. So infrastructure is one thing to consider. Let's sort of, again, bring it back up to, to a bigger picture. Um, what, what would be some objectives or goals that someone might be thinking about to help them make a decision about what breed of sheep to go with and find their match?
1: What do you think of when you're thinking about your life on your farm, on your property with sheep. So, what's it going to be? Uh, Yodeling through the hills, uh, calling them in, feeding them, hand feeding them, patting them, snuggling up by the fire with lambs, or are you in in it for a commercial uh, money making venture? Is it something you just want to have lawn mowers uh, and freezer fillers? So that's going to determine what you really need to do. The other thing too is you can look at your other assets, which you look over the fence to your neighbours. I mean, have your neighbours got sheep? If you're next to a prize-winning merino stud and you turn up with a hair sheep, they might not be too happy because they're worried about the hair on that sheep getting on the fence and contaminating their wool clip.
0: So just to, just to explain, a hair sheep would be something like the Australian white, for example, so that dauber, um influence, that African influence
1: that has your hair other as opposed to wool. Uh, and also, I mean, if you've got a flock of coloured sheep, there's black and uh, they, they shed their wool or they get the wool on the fence and the, the, the merino breeder next door mightn't be too happy. Um, also, have you got lots of wild dogs or dingoes in some parts of Victoria? That's a real problem. And people have been driven out of sheep and they have to go to cattle. Um, is it swampy land, is it rocky land, that sort of thing. Um, so w-
0: tell us about that then. Tell us about the th- those environmental aspects. So thinking of the type of land, I know for us, for example, we had decided on our breed of sheep before we even bought land. So we sort of went a bit sort of back to front with, with ours, but ironically they're a perfect match. Um, and we did have, a, 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 we had African goats uh, on our land, which it actually became an animal welfare issue it was quite, quite a challenge for, for the goat and for us too, um, But tell us a little bit about the, those environmental anima- aspects, particularly the, I suppose the type of land and the match for the land and the sheep.
1: OK, so we were talking earlier about different breeds, and if you think about uh, where they come from and what they're suited to, and you, you want your animals and your plants to be happy. Uh, living in this environment. You want them to be healthy. Now, if you've got broad open flat plains that are prone to hot summer winds and there's not many shade trees, well, uh, an animal that comes from that type of environment like an African sheep will tend to be the best. And the examples we had boar goats, boar, the South African or Afrikaans word for farmer, uh, and they're from from Africa and a bit of sunshine they're out lying on the road. Uh, sunbaking, and our British breed of sheep uh, heading for the shade. E- even if it's quite a cool day, they they actually go for the shade when it gets sunny. So the goats, the boar goats from Africa, did really well in the summer, but they w- started to get a bit cold and shivery and miserable-looking in these South Gippsland wet, cold winters. So what that means, either we had to put them in sheltered areas, have shelters for them, uh, for the goats, that is, um, and in the end we we don't have them at the minute um, but the the British breed of sheep do really really well down here but we have to make sure we've got shade for them and land plenty of water so that is one aspect and also the if you look at the pasture and um, if you've got beautiful lush green um, rye grass and and, and clovers well you, you might be able to have any any breed of sheep you like but if you've got unimproved pastures, it's very rough, lots of weeds and th- that sort of thing, well, you might want a more hardy one of these um, uh, Scottish Herid- breeds, breeds. Yeah, th- that's, breeds. That's, that's yeah. right. Or some of the African breeds might do really well because they can thrive quite well on uh, a lot of those others. And another thing to to um, find out is that certain weeds, they'll, they'll build up certain toxicities, but there are mineral licks Um, For example, we were told that uh, if you have a lot of um, ragwort down here, uh, if you put out bentonite, Mm. uh, a lick. So in your area, you'll probably find there'll be people around who know these sort of things and you'll be able to find out the specifics Mm. um, that can help. So they can be very good in in helping control weeds, um, but there might be a few things you can do. To
0: help And feet as well, it would be another thing to think about with um the the again the the land and the the rocky, swampy or dry arid, and thinking about breeding or selecting a breed that would have that hardiness in feet. One of the things we do is um, get our rams in particular genetically tested uh, and that for example, one of the things we're really wanting to make sure is our flock have a high cold tolerance level. And you might think, well, you know, surely it's just survival of the fittest. But yes, but that's not very good from an animal welfare point of view. So testing our rams, then we know for sure that our rams will have a high level of cold tolerance. So there's different things you can do to help manage those things as well. So we talked about infrastructure. We talked about the goals that you want to achieve. What about time, your own time and the breed that you choose? What do you think about that?
1: Well, how much time will you have for for chores uh, that was one of the interesting things we we've, we've just realized we have to look at on the farm chores versus projects you can only have so many hours of chores in a day and it's not that many if you have probably more than three or four hours of regular chores in a day that's a, that's full capacity because projects will come up and emergencies will come up trees will go over fences bushfires blow whatever so you have to You can't fill up too many hours a day with chores. So uh, if you're having to do lots of work with sheep on trimming their feet or any of those sort of management because you fundamentally got the wrong breed for your environment, that's going to make it either commercially unviable for you or you're just going to not enjoy it. An example
0: there would be having merinos in Gippsland, you know, where wet and cold is not going to work or a a sheep that would be very prone to fly strike where that might be a high risk as well. That's going to eat into your time.
1: Oh, yeah, and you'll have to be there in a bad fly strike, hot and warm, humid, wet weather. Uh, they can get fly strike on the back. And so you really do need to be going around every day because it can happen very, very quickly, which is okay if you're a full-time operation. But if you're not there, uh, ha- having an animal that's, that's hardier and making maybe you have to make that trade-off uh, between other characteristics that you'd like. But, but in the end, uh, if the animals are prone to disease and illness and ill-thrift, um, it, it's not going to work out well for you.
0: The other thing that um, we found quite interesting, because we, we talked about this with Brett in the last podcast, we know we, were, we, we bought our land and then of course you want infrastructure and then you do want to create or invest in a, in our case, a flock. So something to think about would be what is the entry point? When you're buying sheep, and of course different breeds have different entry points. You know, you you um you saw a, a ram recently, a merino ram or something like that. What what did it go for? What was the the price of that? I mean, obviously that's top of the range, but just interesting to sort of see.
1: Uh, I, I did see one thirty-eight thousand, and that's they can go for a lot more than that. But yeah, plenty of rams go for four, five, six, seven thousand dollars, ten thousand dollars. Now you you, you do want to get the best animals that you can because Good quality is really, really worth it. You'll get more kilos of meat, you'll get more kilos of wool, you'll get less problems mm-hmm. if you get that. But I, I had a piece of advice early on where someone said, just get a small amount of sheep, and the suggestion was 25, and if you can keep those alive, then, uh, then you can expand. And I think it's probably a good piece of advice, and we, we're generally finding, we're always telling people, because often people will ask, oh, how many sheep to the acre can you have? And of course... Depends on your pasture, it depends on your environment, it depends on your rain. A lot depends on a lot of factors, but
0: in Australia we call that the DSE or the dry stock equivalent.
1: That's right, and it's going to going to vary a lot, uh, and it varies from year to year. But you're better off starting off quite low and then building to what you see your land can handle and also what you can handle. And if you're having to do a lot of extra work on the sheep to manage them. Um, You might decide, look, I can handle more sheep, but I I don't want to be doing this extra work. I really can't. It's not viable. You you might have to be trimming hooves if, if you're on soft country um, and that could be very logistically difficult or just something you don't want to do. Jill loves it, but I don't personally <laughs> I do. particularly like it. I don't particularly like it myself. But And then there's all things you can do. We've noticed that when we put the gravel tracks in, then we hardly have any problems. It's also breeding, um, and we look for black feet in, in sheep.
0: Ben, so we've talked about the, the facilities, the infrastructure, the goals, the, the climate, the conditions, the land and just this concept of the entry point the budget effectively and then the other thing is what are you going to do with these sheep so what about then the decisions a new breeder would make about their route to market or their sales strategy so what what are your thoughts on on decisions and the the finding the match around an individual's an individual breeder's sales strategy
1: yeah i think a lot probably depends on your area as well because are you in an area that has a lot of sheep, and therefore you have a lot of the, the infrastructure. You've got sale yards with regular sheep, you've got stock agents that know sheep, you've got people that have sheep trucks that you can easily transport sheep. A lot of these other little things that you might think about, uh, even produce stores that stock a lot of sheep produce. Uh, we 're in a dairy area, and we find that we often work out something we need and we have to go searching for it because it 's just not a, a a sheep area and yet <laughs>
0: well, i 'm working yeah. on that yeah.
1: um, and I guess that 's because a lot of people think of sheep uh, for merinos um, and uh, not sort of thinking that um, other breeds uh, um, anything other than just sort of hobby little um, curiosities there's a few of these factors that that you need to consider so if you are uh, have proximity or easy access to regular sheep markets um, you can sell into the yards the problem with yards is that uh, it's it's right out of your control you might have heard the saying that farmers are price takers and so you you put your animals into the yards and you might do really well, but there's a lot of people on Facebook that have had their easy care sheep and, and they've gotten $23 for it. I saw one poor lady. And th- there was nothing wrong with the sheep. It's just for whatever reason, that happened on the day and maybe there's a bit of dodginess going on, a few people there, a bit of a wink and a nudge, and, and, and all of a sudden you've got $23 for your sheep.
0: And that animal, if you'd eaten it, it probably would have been two or $300 worth of meat.
1: Yeah, for sure. and But that happens sometimes, especially with um, the unusual breeds or the rarer breeds. And for some reason, people just think they can discount it down and, and get away with it. If your sheep aren't presented really well, if they're a bit dirty around the backside, th- um, especially with the easy care breeds where the wool falls off, we've still had people come and say, oh, has that thing got lice or whatever? No, it's just a shedding Sheep, it's fine. Um, so
0: I'm just going to stop you there. So you've mentioned a few things we haven't talked about, which is this concept of easy care sheep. So maybe we'll just spend a minute just talking about that to, to help, uh, help people understand what we mean by easy care. Because you're right, you're talking here about the market locally in, in Gippsland and, and definitely it's not a sheep market. And we don't. We don't sell like this at all. Um, but what, what are easy care sheep?
1: Not all sheep need to be shorn. Uh, there's been a, f- a few breeds that have developed the ability to shed their wool. Uh, a lot of the African breeds.
0: Uh, the, the, the hair sheep the that the we were talking sheep, about?
1: Their, their hair will fall off uh, coming up to summer. And there are also some British breeds like Wilshire Horns, which we have. And so you don't need shearing facilities. You don't need to crutch, crutch them. You don't need to muzzle them. We haven't had a case of fly strike in the over four years that we've had them. Uh, so that's where we get the term easy care. You, you don't need things like a sheep dip because they just don't have a problem with lice. Uh, when we had goats, the goats had some lice, but we really never had sheep with lice. Uh, and so all that means that you need a lot less infrastructure, it's a lot less time managing problems. So it's a lot easier care.
0: And one of the other uh, aspects that I find in in easy, with easy care sheep is. You have less chemical input as well, because with all those things that you talked about, the lice and um, m- and the dipping, uh, it's it's chemicals. It's it's um, things that you put your sheep into, or use on your sheep, or in your sheep that that in- introduce chemicals into the food chain. Well,
1: they, they, these chemicals are designed to kill things, so they're killing insects, killing worms. They're they're, they're killing a lot of things. So the chemicals that kill things. Um, so if you can you can avoid putting that. Your food. Now, all these things will have safety requirements, withholding periods that's the time from application of that chemical that you must not right. sell your sheep for meat consumption. And some of these uh, might be 21 days, 28 days, or 42 days. Mm-hmm. You have to really be very, very careful uh, and keep good records because if, if a few weeks later you think, oh, well, someone's coming to buy this or I'm going to sell this sheep, if it's Within that withholding period, uh, you, you are breaching the, the regulations and you can be in serious trouble.
0: So thank you. That's really good to just introduce people to us exactly what we mean by, by easy care. Um, and just going back to that sales strategy, I think that's something for, for breeders when you are looking to find your match to sort of think about, well, how am I going to sell my sheep um, or my meat, for example? And, uh, and how can I not be a, a price taker as, as you describe. Um, for us, we have a, a direct-to-consumer approach and that means that we're not price takers. We, we uh, have consistency in our, our revenue and also we have a relationship with our customers as well. So that's, that's quite important for us too as well.
1: You can do that with wool as well. If you have a specialty breed that has a specific type of wool... Uh, I've read in a book about the Soe sheep. I think it's an island in Britain somewhere. And uh, the lady writing the book was talking about how she had this... um, beautiful woolen jumper made from a Soway sheep and it was, she described it as impervious to the weather and a lot of fishermen and sailors would wear these magnificent jumpers and keep them warm in the North Sea. You could sell your wool to spinners or specialty uh, handicraft people or that sort of thing. Like
0: what the alpaca people do when yeah. they, they use their own alpaca wool. Great. So <laughs> thank you thank you very much for your special comments, Gary. Uh, we've we've explored uh, different types of sheep breeds, where sheep come from, the um the sort of the difference between these African sheep and British sheep and composite sheep and commercial sheep, but hopefully it sort of demystified a little bit of, uh, of this sort of um, sheep uh, mystery for you, and also helped you to make some decisions. So, what are you going to do next? How are you going to choose your match? Uh, so, think about some of the things we've we've explored here, your goals, what do you want to achieve with your sheep, your infrastructure and facilities, your environment, the land that you're on uh the conditions, the climate conditions, the en- entry point, your budget, and indeed your sales strategy, all these things helping you make a good decision about sheep because of course when you uh, when you want to buy sheep, you want to buy sheep well, as i say so <laughs> So thank you very much, Gary. Appreciate you being on the Sheep Show podcast again you today. you listening to the Sheep Show podcast with Jill Noble from Holston Valley Farm. Do you know someone who could benefit from the Sheep Show podcast? Please take a moment to share this and our other episodes via your podcast app, email, or your social media channels. Each share helps us reach listeners just like you who can benefit from our content. Thank you so much for listening, and until next time, sheep well.